0: Okay, everybody, we got the bounties here today. Let's see, the first bounty I got here is, uh, who wants to deliver some food rations to an adventuring party? Pay is 50 silver pieces.
1: Uh, no, I'll pass. I only work for gold.
0: Okay, guess those guys are gonna starve. Uh, let's see, last bounty of the day. Deliver these plague masks to Kirstberg. Pay is 100 silver pieces. Did you say a hundred gold pieces? No, I said a hundred silver pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. No thanks. Okay, I guess Kurzberg is fucked. And welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mulkle, here with my mythological co hosts. I'm Jack Olander, a treasure goblin that
2: works for the party. I run into combat and loot the dead bodies, and I'll complain if you don't tank for me.
1: Oh, it's a good service, though. Yeah. And I'm Chelsea Halliwell. A tinkerer who will take care of all of your copper-related needs.
0: That's good. I have have some uh, old rusty copper. Copper to the rest of it. I have some old tarnished copper that could use some tinkering.
1: Sure, I mean, that could polish it.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what you do, right?
1: That's tangentially related to what I do.
0: Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, this week we watched Mythica, a quest for heroes a 2014 film that was kickstarted for its funding which i thought was kind of cool this movie was directed by ann k black and stars melanie stone adam johnson jake stormoen nicola posner and kevin sorbo hmm that's questionable
2: I didn't realize there were two goblins
0: in this film. Ooh, good point. Yes, TV's Hercules, and that is all we're going to say about Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. But before we get too far into the movie, I think Chelsea's ready to summarize the hell out of this film.
1: That's right. I have a summary that was prepared ahead of time, and in no way am I making it up right now.
0: Like always, of course.
1: Here we go. Here's your summary for Mythica.
0: A quest for heroes.
1: So this movie features Marek, or Merrick. Merrick. Yeah. An indentured, uh my bad, a slave, basically. <laughs>
0: <laughs> an indentured slave. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, she was described uh, in the summary as an indentured Servant, but she's really a slave. I don't know why they're trying to use euphemistic language, but...
0: Yeah, George Carlin would not approve of that euphemism.
1: Yeah. And she dreams of becoming a wizard when she grows up.
0: Who doesn't?
1: And uh, so she easily escapes her master uh, and puts together an adventuring party. She evades her master by sucking his soul out of his body with necromantic magic that she somehow has some innate ability for. Well, That's
2: we- one of those good schools of magic, right? She's not, like, dangerous, is she?
1: Probably
0: not. Just because she sucks the souls out of everybody uh, whenever she uses their spells, I don't want to typecast her.
1: Yeah, I mean, we Uh-oh. all have a little bit of darkness within, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, she goes to a local tavern to start her life as an adventurer and find a group of people who are willing to form a party with her and take on a bounty to make a name for themselves.
0: It's hard work, but honest.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but she has no reputation. Nobody's willing to work with her or give her a bounty. But then she finds a desperate person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When in doubt and you need work, always look for desperate people.
1: There is a beautiful priestess whose sister has been kidnapped by an ogre and whose entire order was either killed or captured by orcs and their necromancer leader.
0: Now, I assume that in this world, these orcs just happen to be doing bad things, but that orcs in general are not typecast.
1: Yeah, they're just like a raiding party, you know?
0: Yeah, despite the fact that people in this movie make very racist statements about orcs.
1: So the orcs are the Black Armor Gang, and the Order of Priests is the White Robe Club. We'll just call them that from now on. Because I didn't catch their names. It was very esoteric. So.
0: They've been lost to the mists of time.
1: Nobody else is willing to take on the priestess's quest, except for Merrick. And she pulls together a group of uh, adventurers to help them in their quest to save the rest of the order and recover the priestess's sister.
0: Now, how would you describe these adventurers' tags? Would you say that they are a rag? I would. (laughs) Rag tag adventurers.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So she. Oh, now you lost me. So she enlists the help of Thane, a human fighter. And Dagon, an elf thief.
0: Half elf, I think, because he has a beard.
1: Right. And together they join the priestess uh, and go on a quest to fight the orcs and save the order, which they do. Uh, At one point, uh, Dagon does... Do a surprise attack on an orc by shoving a blade up his bum. Yep,
0: it was brutal.
1: And lo and behold, her sister isn't there amongst the captives the orcs are holding.
0: Tila's sister's not there.
1: Right, Tila is the priestess. And so they have to make their way to where her order originally was, but then they're captured by the ogre who is still wandering the lands. And they end up in his food locker in his cave. Um, and they... Let's see. Merrick is not captured, though. And she goes and enlists Dagon's help, And they go and free Tila and Thane and Tila's sister. And they they fight off the ogre and some spooky giant spiders with magic and... Guile.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'd say Guile's inappropriate. Uh, I, I saw some sonic booms and the flash kicks. Yeah. Oh, and wait, wrong Guile.
1: The flat
0: top hair. Yeah, no, I saw it. Okay, good. And
1: there's another moment where Merrick sucks the life energy out of her friend Dagon to do some magic. So, super dark side.
0: It's okay. He's got some elf. He, he'll be fine, probably. He, he doesn't need all those years.
1: Eventually, she defeats the ogre by stabbing him with a poisoned arrow to the eye, and then they all make it out together and meet back up at the tavern for some drinks and some hearty laughs.
0: And that's the movie, right? Yeah. (laughs) And it, it really does feel like the first act of a story more than, like, an overarching film.
1: Yeah. So there you have it. There's your summary.
0: Awesome. And I was going to say, it feels like the first act of a movie because there's four sequels to this film, but we'll get to those another week. Yeah. Or in other, in following weeks. Yes. But for now, why don't we head into the delve? This is the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Mythica colon A Quest for Heroes. Well, to start out with, it's called A Quest for Heroes,
2: right? Yeah. And we can kind of see that one of the major fuels for the economy and the military are adventurers.
0: Yes, this is a very D&D-like world, it seems, where... Adventure-based economy. Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, military so and economy. We, yeah. So are we talking feudal capitalism, or is this some
0: sort of heroism, if you want to call it that? What kind of... What are you looking at uh, A heroocracy is what you're asking? Yes. <laughs> Which is kind of like a meritocracy, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there definitely does seem to be a feudal slash slave based uh, system going on because Merrick starts out. I mean, they say slave. It's possible that she is more of an indentured servant in like the strictly legal sense, but I mean, the, these words are so interchangeable in reality that, you I know, mean- the differences are relatively minor.
1: She's called a slave by several different characters, and she's marked as a slave.
0: Yeah. But, like, I think that maybe—no, yeah, I think you're right. She she does have, like, a tattoo down her spine that makes her uh, identifiable to a noble who tries to, who we'll would say say, uh, kidnap? Slave nap? Nah, I'm not comfortable with that. Kidnap uh, her and take her as his own slave. Uh, this guy's a real P.O.S.,
1: Yeah, kidnap works because she's only supposed to be 15 or 16.
0: Yeah, and that's when she's saved by Thane in the the beginning part there.
1: Yep. Which does land him in a cage, and that's how she knows about him, and she goes to save him out of the cage and recruit him to join her adventuring party later on.
0: Yeah, Thane really gets his shit rocked constantly throughout this movie. Like, he is knocked out, shot with arrows smacked around like he's their tank, their frontline fighter, and he is really earning that role because he is constantly being just bludgeoned. Yeah. It's
2: kind of like his job is to take the first hit, and if the healer is doing her job, he can take two hits. (laughs) Yeah. But he goes down after both. He has to get back up.
0: Yeah. They're, yeah, they're the scene at the very end where where he's knocked out, healed, and then knocked out instantaneously again.
1: And then he has to get healed every time, and it's just, like, he's the true fighter, like, just constantly having to be healed. Yeah, he never
0: stops. He never is like, oh, you know what, forget it, I'm not going to be tanking for you guys anymore.
1: He tanks all the damage so other people don't have to. And, like, a true wizard... um. Merrick stays back and usually doesn't take damage like the other characters do.
0: Oh yeah, no, she's she's doing her job as a wizard for sure. But she is cunning too. I like that that she's uh, like intelligent in the classic like book learning sense. But she also seems wise to me.
2: Yes, and I think a lot of what she does in combat, she needs a tank because her spells take a bit of preparation to cast.
0: Yep, material components
2: using different different powders, and she puts them into tiny little pouches where she just kind of slings them. I think it's her ethics being powdered down and burnt right before her. <laughs> you know, because she's a necromancer and sucks out souls. Yeah. And makes blue fire. I don't know if blue fire is good
0: fire. I, I got to be totally honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. That could be the blue of the devil.
1: The devil. Yeah. yeah
0: the hottest or, flames of hell. It's true. And I got to say, I don't
2: think she gives Dagon a warning when she's like, I'm about to use a bit of soul as this spells component. Right
0: here. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think that it, I'm not even sure if she's completely aware that she is sucking people's souls. Though. The
1: second time she does it, she is aware of what she's doing, but it, it is somewhat instinctual that she knows she needs to do it to gain more power. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, she doesn't ask for permission. She just asks for forgiveness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been told that that's the way you do it. I guess so. I'm about to do what's called a pro-gamer move. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right, yeah. That's right. Merrick.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She does it to uh, teleport... Thane and Tila out of the rock-based holding cell that the ogre has put them into. It's like an
0: ice chest but made out of gigantic boulders and a pit in the ground. Yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about
2: Merrick's magic a little bit when it comes to, you know, how unholy it is. Yeah, yeah. let's get into it. It goes a little deeper than whole her just, you know, like, sucking the souls out of people, you know? I get it, you know, we all, we all make mistakes in the heat of passion, but I think she's made a habit out of it with her spells, you know, and she knows a lot of evocation, you know, destructive magic for someone who's just been studying a few cantrips, you know, I'm just saying she was a slave, you think she'd know like how to make a broom sweep the floor on its own, but she's like, I make knives have napalm on them. And I'm like, oh, why'd you learn that?
0: Why'd you know that that spell? So you were expecting more of a sorcerer's apprentice type scenario.
2: Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing as the sorcerer's apprentice. It's like, Merlin, why did you make the spell that reanimates all the dead people? Why'd you make that?
1: (laughs) Well, it's because the wizard that was her friend in town before she escaped
0: Kevin Sorbo, TV's Hercules.
1: I forget his name. Um,
0: Gojin Pai. I'm not making that up. Okay. Right. Chelsea, Chelsea, uh, was looking, <laughs> Chelsea was looking at me with the most incredulous look. I'm like, this is the name right off of Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, he was kind of teaching her and letting her just look through all of his stuff, I think because he had pity for her p- position and plight.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They were yeah. kind of friends. <laughs>
2: So he was kinda of just hinting like, yo,
0: get out of there. Kill your master. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. The the, the part the scene where she goes to meet Pi, or we'll just call him Sorbo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or TV's Hercules. oh uh, go with Sorbo. Uh the a with <laughs> Sorbet. <laughs> Ooh, nice Ooh. the scene where she goes to meet with him I was very confused at first because like suddenly like he's talking to her a million miles a minute just rushing through his like day rate I guess um <laughs> or I guess he was probably uh, he was probably actually the highest paid person in this movie which is kind of sad yeah but uh He's rushing through his scenes, and I'm like, whoa, hold on. Like, she just met this guy, and he's just, like, telling her everything and handing her scrolls and burning things. But we realized during watching the movie that they actually had an established relationship. Yeah. And the dialogue was so organic that it actually, like, went past any kind of establishing scenario and just threw the audience right into it, which is kind of what this movie does with everything, which is one of the reasons why it's a little hard to follow. Yeah,
1: she. they <laughs> could have had just, like maybe 10 five to ten seconds of her telling her friend uh, uh, Egan he was the son of her master they were friends and she could have just told him when she was taking the money to go into town to run the errands that oh I want to go because I'm gonna go meet my friend so sure and so uh, and uh, study with him a little bit before I come back home so like they that's what did that take like 10 seconds if you really knew what you were saying <laughs> like yeah
0: but this movie did not have time for that bullshit because <laughs> it is a crisp hour and 30 minutes yeah it's true and i guess her
2: mentor was a big like all knowledge is good to be shared sort of philosophy
1: it did seem like it
2: yeah, classic wisdom. yeah because, I mean, he made those necromancy spells available to her to learn, and evocation. And so, I mean, yeah, he, he's all about just learning whatever he can get his hands on, I suppose.
0: Now, that's an interesting point. Did she learn the necromancy power from spells? Or it, it almost felt to me like it was something that she had inherently in her. Because at first, she doesn't really know she's doing it, right? Or, or did she have no. it, like, trained?
1: She did not know she was doing the necromancy, sucking the soul out. But um, all the other spells that she does are ones that she learned from Sorbo. And yes. um, she learned later on, just through trial and error, that she could use her innate soul-sucking ability to augment the spells she was learning.
0: Right, which I actually, that was a really cool part of the world, I thought. Yeah. It reminded me of the D&D setting Dark Sun, where uh, wizards have to drain life from around them, and, like, the world that they're on, which is called Athos, (laughs) has become a giant desert planet, because all the wizards and sorcerers just drained the natural world and killed all the plant life and people around them to cast their spells and just blasted the entire landscape.
2: Yes. And kind of similarly to that, in addition to her sucking, you know, what appears to be life out of other people.
1: Sorry. Can the, we call it the, the bad th- suck? Can we call it the dark suck?
2: <laughs> yes. Because it comes when from she, the darkness
1: within. <laughs> Sorry. Yes.
2: When she puts the dark suck on people. (laughs) Yep, that, that sounds right. That same darkness may have also had a similar effect on her leg, and correct me if I'm wrong, but she has some sort of a curse on her ankle and lower calf that makes her limp when she walks and it puts her in constant pain and it's supposed to be a reflection of the darkness inside of her.
0: Yeah, so that was the point I wanted to to bring up. I think that this is an important part of the movie. In the very first shot of Merrick we see, it's actually of her foot, which is, it seems, um, I guess, is it like club foot? Like her ankle is curled inward, so she can't like stand on the flat of her foot. And she's got some kind of like, necrosis or rot kind of around her lower ankle and, and foot area. And
1: it's spreading up her leg. Is yeah, I
0: guess kind of
2: like when people recover from a snake bite or something.
1: So there's like a little bit
0: of ableism in this movie, although I'm not sure if it's using that as a in like a way to be disrespectful of people or if it's using it as a way to show that the people of this world are Judgmental, But Merrick kind of is able to go through the whole movie compensating for this. And she tries at one point to have her foot healed by Tila. And Tila is not able to heal her because she says that Merrick has darkness inside of her. But that is the point when Merrick decides to reject the gods or getting help from others and to take matters into her own hand. And kind of turning this what would otherwise be a disability into, like, what pushes her and motivates her to be better. Yeah, it's true.
2: I do think it's supposed to be a bit of a judgmental thing because, yeah, obviously the goddess, who I'm pretty sure is supposed to be good and save the land and heal people, is like, no, I'm not going to heal you because I think the idea is that she did it to herself.
0: Oh, interesting. By, like, experimenting with dark magics or something
2: yeah probably something exactly like that you're getting what
0: i'm you're getting what I'm saying yeah i I had assumed it had been something that was just uh from birth
1: no in the beginning what she's doing she's creating potions and that's considered to be drawing upon dark magic to create them okay and they like her friend uh egon is admonishing her because of that so I think Jack is right that she kind of is causing this necrosis to happen. And after the goddess refuses to heal her, Merrick, um, like Jamie said, rejects the goddess and all help from the gods. And then um, there's some interesting bit of film language that we get after that scene. The next day, when they're all traveling together, Merrick is constantly standing apart from them. And it kind of sh- visually shows her feelings of rejection and how isolated she's kind of feeling from other people because she feels like nobody's helping her or is supporting her.
2: Right. Yeah. It kind of reminded me a bit of Magic in the Witcher series a little bit. Yeah. Where, you know, there's the quote that's like, sometimes the best thing a flower can do for you is die. Right. Yeah. You know?
0: Right, we're when, talking about how, like uh, Yennefer's magic and stuff.
2: Yeah, when we're in, that's not a super big spoiler for anyone who hasn't seen the show, by the way.
0: No, that's in the but, first few episodes.
2: Yeah, but also, uh, yeah, that setting has a similar magic system where in order to cast certain spells, you need to directly take life energy from something else. And maybe that's the kind of magic that Merrick was trying to do. And, you know, leg necrop,
0: you know. <laughs> Like that. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's maybe that's before she realized that she could use the dark suck to draw on the life energy of others to do her magic.
2: (laughs) You can't resist the dark suck.
0: (laughs) So yeah, I mean it's interesting. I think that having a main character who has a disability that she initially wants to change but eventually she learns to live with yeah is an interesting take and and, you know in the beginning of the movie her friend egan has built a kind of a leg brace for her that keeps her foot straight so that she can walk on it and she doesn't have to use a crutch anymore because in the beginning of the movie she's uh, on a crutch um unfortunately the actor seemed to kind of forget which leg was supposed to be her um less powerful one and kind of uh, mixes up which arm her crutch is under in the first few scenes. Yeah. Yeah. It seems
2: like the crutch is facing the camera. No, I think no matter which direction she's kind of going, just that is so it. you don't forget it.
1: So darkness was this major theme in this movie.
0: Yeah, and, and the darkness that people have inside of them
1: and they can you can feed the darkness or you can feed the light and um as Merrick is kind of giving into her darkness she seems to be coming more bitter towards her friends and seems to lose hope in a way but then she regains some of her confidence after she helps use her uh necromantic abilities to save her friends and they thank her for it and and uh, kind of acknowledge her abilities, then she does seem to feel like she has some camaraderie with them again.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I actually think that this movie does a pretty good job of eschewing some of the usual themes around this idea about somebody having darkness inside of them. She doesn't have to overcome it, at least not in this first movie, to get her friends back to show that she cares, she can kind of create the balance inside of her without having to completely reject her um, goth side that comes out whenever she kind of has these visions. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was actually
2: thinking that since this movie does feel really like a first episode and we see her kind of deny this god that you'd assume is like of a positive alignment, right? Yeah. That... This might become an issue, like you're saying in another movie, and that she might be the problem later down the line. Yeah, possibly.
1: Unless she can keep her community around her, of her friends and adventuring companions, and she can continue to have that connection, that seems to be what helps keep her in balance towards the end of the movie.
0: Yeah, it is her connection to other people, it seems like. Yeah. Because at the end of the movie, she has... She's always been... Merrick is is actually an interesting character for a few reasons. She's very positive in, like, the beginning. Like, she's happy to take this job with Tila. She's very enthusiastic, like, when she goes to the bar and meets yeah. Hammerhead, the dwarf, who's the guy giving out quests. He's being kind of shitty to her because he just doesn't know her or believe in her. But she's kind of got this plucky go get him attitude that gets kind of diminished a little bit as like when she's rejected by the goddess whose name is Elisette. And like, she kind of has her, her moment of darkness and doubt in the middle of the movie or towards the end of the second act. But by the end of the movie, she's kind of got this smiley go get attitude again. Now that she's got her friends kind of bandied together.
1: And after she earns some respect from Hammerhead by giving proof that they killed the ogre.
0: Right. Yeah, she's happy to take payment in a beer and a little respect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that
2: was so cool, that scene, because I do something similar in my D&D setting. Ogre and troll ears are turned in for bounty. Wow, problematic. Lake. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> yeah, they're, they're very xenophobic. And well, it kind of, they really are in this movie too. They are. They turn in the ogre's ear as a way to show that they completed their quest.
0: Yeah. 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 It's in the text of the film for sure.
1: (laughs) I think that part of the problem was I don't think there was an actual bounty for that ogre (laughs) from that locale. I think that they just killed it and were hoping to get some kind of payment for it, but there was no bounty for it.
0: Not one that offered gold, at least. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, just a little bit of beer and respect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a single
2: beer to split five ways.
0: Yeah, didn't seem like the rest of the party was as happy with the payment as Merrick was. I kind of like to think that the dwarf innkeeper was, like, nodding
2: to himself, like, yeah, I did something good and generous today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that did definitely yeah. seem like it.
1: Yeah, it looked like Dagan wasn't too happy about it, so he stole the, uh, he just grabbed the beer from Merrick and just took it for himself.
0: Well, that is consistent with his character, and I would be remiss if we didn't address some of the troubling aspects of Deegan in this movie, who is a character that I generally liked, but also found repugnant for two very specific things he does in this movie. Yeah. When we first meet the character, Merrick has escaped from these nobles who were trying to capture her, or this noble was trying to capture her, she jumps into a hay cart with Deegan, and he pursues and he proceeds to just fucking grab her tit. Yeah, just full on gropes her. She is put off, but not like comp- like not as offended or. Not as, like, disturbed by it as one might think. And then later on, he forces a kiss on her. I'm like, and I really overall, like, wanted to like this character, especially because I tend to like the rogues in movies. But I would, like I said, I wouldn't want to give this movie a pass without pointing out that there were a few troubling themes and images or scenes that sh- like that came out in the movie.
1: Yeah, it it was overbearing. Yeah. And I I felt like it was wholly unnecessary. Six years ago, I still think they should have known better.
0: <laughs> yeah, you would have hoped.
1: And it was directed by a woman.
0: It was, yes.
1: So maybe she was trying to um, portray different types of abuses of power because that was a common theme in the movie. And so... Um, She was trying to show a range of abusive power. So power differentials between social classes and the sexes is what we got to see. Yes. And so I think that, I mean, women still today all the time have to deal with uh, being groped or solicited. And so I think that, unfortunately, there is a bit of realism to that. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think that was your point, that it wasn't realistic. Your point was that you were disappointed that they had that character doing that because you wanted to like that character.
0: That they had a character who is a protagonist, apparently, of the movie doing it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was
2: kind of hoping that that might have been, like, at the request of the people funding the movie <laughs> instead of, like, like, the Kickstarter people being like, hey, I want the, I want the kiss... I want it in there. Do it. Oh, oh <laughs>
0: God.
1: I don't know if they could have done it. I
0: don't know. All right. I mean, I I have read Kickstarter comment sections, and they are horrible a lot of times. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, but. <laughs> I mean, usually horrible in different ways, but I've never read the ones for uh, movie Kickstarters. I mostly read the ones for board games. All right. Well, since we're talking about different power dynamics, I figured it was probably about time to talk about class struggle.
1: Oh, that sounds like a good idea.
0: Thanks. I just thought of it for this movie for the first time ever. (laughs) Uh, So obviously what we have in this movie is a very clear social hierarchy, and we are put immediately into the perspective of a slave, of a character who's a slave, who is at the lowest level of society. She works for a cruel, I'll say, landlord, who, like, seems to be, like, a guy who kind of, like, runs a town to be the mayor or something. She goes into the big city, and she's almost immediately assaulted by a noble. Somebody in the top top tier of society who's literally using their position to abuse people below them. Yep. She's defended by a guard who's kind of a working class type character who is... Passed out drunk when we first meet him, that's Thane, but who still sees injustice and wants to stand up for himself. But for standing up for himself, he is beaten and caged. Yep. The party that she kind of gathered around her is this guy, Thane, a thief who's, you know, also probably in a similar social hierarchy as Merrick, but has a little bit more freedom because he's outside of the law, and a priest or a priestess, or whatever you want to say, a, a, a woman of of the cloth, who I mean, this, that one kind of is a, slightly sits outside of some of our conceptions of class, especially in the modern day, where members of the clergy are sometimes, you know, perceived as being more in the higher strata of society, but Tila seems to be more of a lay priest, or just like she doesn't have a lot of power or, you know, a lot of social power necessarily. She doesn't have like a lot of funds to pay for the adventuring party.
1: Well, like most holy men or women or others, they do have a certain type of social status that is somewhat higher than like maybe the merchant class, but um, it's also somewhat apart.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It's kind of separated. It seems like they are from like a monastery. Yeah. She only comes into town because she needs help. And she actually offers the bounty. She doesn't actually have the money to pay the bounty.
1: She just knows that her goddess told her that the funds would somehow be forthcoming.
0: Which is what drives Deegan off.
1: At, at one point, at but one then, point, yeah. um, as we mentioned, Merrick is able to get him back later on.
0: But that's only probably because she saves him from a band of orcs, who are
1: probably going to cook him and eat him, it seems like. Yep, and um, then he kind of has some loyalty to the group after that point. Grudging. Yeah, and... Um, we... I mean,
0: enough to, let, um, enough to let Merrick use the bad suck on him.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't even get mad at her. Yeah. But, um... Later on, we do find out they are going to get their 200 silver, um, that the priestess's sister, who's like the older sister, said that they have like a benefactor who can she can get it from.
0: Elisette provides.
1: Yeah. So going along with the class struggle and power uh, themes is this idea of empowerment. And um, Merrick doesn't wait around for other people to empower her. She... She just takes it for herself. Yeah. I mean, like I said, she's an interesting character. She frees herself and just (laughs) sticks with it until people see her as somebody that's worthy of respect, like she believes that she is. It's all about, like, that she believes in herself. Even in the moments where she's low, she still believes in herself. And that's, like, part of her driving force. She knows that she is worth more than being a slave. And she she seizes opportunities where other people just see garbage or um,
0: somebody who's who is not worthy of any respect or value or personal value or autonomy.
1: But like the opportunity of taking this quest, like uh, the other adventuring parties in the tavern just dismiss the priestess because they think, oh, 200 silver, that's beneath me. But. Merrick is like, I want to make a name for myself. I'll take it.
0: Yeah, the adventuring class seems to be more in, like, the merchant class or, like, maybe even a little bit higher. They're, like, kind of local celebrities.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So her
0: trying to say, like, oh, I'm a wizard. I could be one of these adventurers is kind of like somebody being like, well, oh, I'm a podcaster. I'm a real celebrity.
1: <laughs> and then everyone
0: around them is like, yeah, uh-huh, sure. Let us know when you've done a few movies, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, we can make our own movies.
0: <laughs> yeah, on Kickstarter, just like this one. This movie is inspiring. Yeah. But I, I do, I have to say, I like that we get, again, a prospective character who's a slave, who we see the value in through her actions and her unwillingness to have her agency taken from her. And we see the abuses of power from those with authority around her but we are meant to see those abuses for what they are right and we are meant to sympathize with merrick for being in this position that she had no part in choosing for herself but she is ready to ascend beyond that and to gain the agency that she knows she deserves
1: and part of that has to do with her Working towards her goals like she has been training for years, it seems like before when we come into the movie.
0: Um, Yeah, she's been doing alchemy and and learning how to uh, use that old magic.
1: Yeah. So she knows that she can there's a better life out there for herself. And she's been working towards it and training for it. And um, so she's not content to just accept her lot in life. It's it's a very um American film, to be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> filmed in Utah.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes, it was filmed in Utah, where I am right now.
1: Where are you in Utah? <laughs> I'm, you know, just so
2: glad you asked. I'm in Springdale, Utah, outside of Zion Canyon right now. And let me tell you, the scenes where they were raiding the orc encampment Looks like it could have been right outside my room, you know what I'm saying? Nice. Like these orange windswept cliffs, and it must have been the winter, because it looked like it was genuinely snowing there, and you could see everyone's breath. And when Dagon came out of that pool to stab the orc in the butt... Chelsea noticed that his jaw was quivering because that's probably snow
0: melt in the middle of winter
1: yeah. that he's <laughs>
0: wading into. Yeah, they really abused these poor actors. Yeah. <laughs> they, they definitely earned their, uh, their pay for this one. Yeah. It seemed like, yeah, yeah early on made, in the movie, they were they were clearly in very cold rooms and stuff. Yeah, they made a daggone wade
2: into... Cold water. They made that orc actor sacrifice his butt for the film.
0: (laughs) Punishing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think we've covered most of what we're going to get in the delve. Why don't we move on to evil, stupid, or misunderstood? This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the podcast where we determine if the main villain is evil, or maybe they're stupid, or they could just be misunderstood. So guys, this one's a little bit hard because who seems to be the main villain, this, I guess, necromancer or guy who's stealing the statue at the beginning of the movie, we only see him for like a combined 10 seconds of the film. And most of the rest of the plot has to do with the fallout of what happened from him stealing the statue from the Church of Elisette. So who's the villain of this movie?
1: I think it's the darkness within.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, everybody has to struggle with it. Everybody has a little bit of good and evil inside. And um, it's whether or not you give into it or just can justify uh giving into your darkness for your ambition or your lust for power like uh Merrick does a little bit right and um you know it's something that we all have to struggle with i don't necessarily think that darkness is always evil uh-huh. they're often
0: misunderstood
1: yeah i think it's misunderstood
0: and it seems that the movie kind of agrees with us on that
1: yeah because merrick despite her darkness and her use of her reliance on the dark suck. She's still accepted by her friends, and they just kind of understand that that's just her, man.
0: Yeah, it's just you know everyone's got a little bit of it in them. So I think we kind of also have to give a little bit of attention to the ogre, though, right? Because the ogre kind of becomes the main antagonist of this story in like the most overt way. Yeah. And they they are a presence that we see from the beginning of the movie at the attack on Teela's temple where he shows up and kind of like CGI backhands <laughs> people. And then they fall down in another shot because I guess they couldn't have uh, CGI the ogre hand into the same shot where the person's being knocked over. Yeah,
1: I guess so. It was too much work.
0: Um, and the ogre is not a bad CGI asset.
1: It's not the worst I've ever seen.
0: I mean, we have watched the Dungeons and Dragons movie.
1: Yeah, and Dragonheart too. Yeah. The new beginning.
0: So like if anything, this might be some of the best CGI we've ever seen, other than like John Carter. Yeah. For for the podcast, I mean. Yeah. Was there any CGI in Brave? <laughs> I, I don't think so. No, that Scotland really looks like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Glen is just so beautiful. Yeah. So what do you guys think about the ogre? I mean, I think he's misunderstood. Like, I was kind of making jokes in the beginning about the ogre just being like, excuse me, ladies, there's a war going on here. You should be more careful. <laughs> Obviously, he then, like, smacks him around. But um, I wish that the ogre had been more of a sympathetic character. I would have been great.
1: That would have been great. Like, somebody who's just trying to save people and, like, Then he just wants to have friends and he takes them back to his cave because he thinks they're his friends now.
0: Yeah, although this sounds like rewriting history to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that he is kind of just stupid and like a big stupid brute. Oh,
0: I don't like that at all.
1: Well, that's what what it is. And um, I don't think he's necessarily evil. I think he's just like trying to eat. Okay,
0: that's fair. So, I I mean, I think what you're really saying is that he's misunderstood.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, similar to what you were saying, Chelsea, I kind of thought that the ogre might have been under this necromancer's control or whatever, but it doesn't seem intelligent necessarily, though it can set a fire. But I got the impression that kind of like an animal, it was just trying to eat and perpetuate itself.
0: Yeah. So... Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the ogre is very misunderstood. Maybe even yeah. a maybe even a tool in somebody's game, a pawn in somebody's game.
1: Right there, you have it.
0: All right. Well, in that case, why don't we head into the smithy? Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating after sharing an epic moment or feature from Mythica colon A Quest for Heroes. Chelsea, why don't you tell us your epic moment or feature from the movie, and then give us your rating from one to ten swords.
1: My epic moment is when Merrick does the dark suck on Dagon later on in the ogre cave and the way she looks like she transforms whenever she's doing it and her eyes go completely black and she gets some kind of like dark tendrils around her eyes and she like lights up with blue flames and looks super cool
0: turns into goth merrick
1: yeah and uh she's like suddenly all powerful and like gets a glimpse of herself in her like true form true darkness and so uh, I thought that was a that was a cool moment and they did a really good job with the effects in that scene I'm gonna give it seven out of ten swords because um, it might deserve a six but I'm going for seven because um, of the what they accomplished with the budget they had of ninety four thousand dollars and I
0: don't know if that was the complete budget or just what Kickstarter raised, but anyway you slice it, it was not a lot of budget to do what they did.
1: Yeah, and um, they they were able to accomplish a lot with that and focus really on the character development, which really worked. And so uh, they used the climate to their advantage and had some cool costume elements and just really focused on what they, could do to create this world. So, and I liked that the main character was female, that uh, she rejected romantic advances and wanted to make a name for herself. So I I really enjoyed that drive for this film. So yeah, seven out of 10 swords.
0: A a respectable rating. Jack, your epic moment and a rating. Hmm. I gotta say my epic moment that really
2: earned me some points for this movie was when Dagon, well, when they were all running from the orcs, I believe it was, and Dagon is firing a volley of arrows back at the orcs. And then he is out of arrows and he's just like, well, I'm out. And then he just tries to run away with the rest of the group. And I was like, oh, they actually paid attention to how many arrows he had? Big respect yeah very nice very nice because even and when because this is based on basically a tabletop role-playing game like Dungeons and Dragons and even when I play that game, I know my players don't want to keep track of how many arrows they're shooting. No then they might so run out. It's true. So the fact that they put that in this movie I was like big respect.
1: Yeah. And
2: this movie is hard to rate for me because it really did give me the vibe that this is episode one. You know, it's, like you said, it's like part one of a five-part series, so it's not some crazy overarching plot. It's a real phantom menace, if you will. Yeah, so it's kind of like I'm judging a piece of art while only looking at part of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. this doesn't seem like it's a standalone. So I think they did character development really well, like you said, and we kind of get a little idea of what the setting is like and the things that it does, I think it does strongly. So I might give this a five out of 10. I think it was pretty a pretty neutral experience. I like the characters and I'm looking forward to seeing them in other pieces of media. Like the next films, but I don't know if I would recommend this movie to people unless the other ones are good.
0: Fair, fair. It does kind of feel like the first episode of a TV show, just a very long episode. Yeah, so five out of ten, it had cool aspects to it, and
2: I hope to see what it does. Yeah, building off of it. Nice, yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jamie? What's your rating?
0: I'm glad you asked. Well, first off, my epic moment occurs in the first scene in Hammerhead's bar, where there's these two, we'll call them ruffians, getting involved in a little tussle. And uh, one of them goes for a knife or a dagger from his his side to stab his opponent. And suddenly Hammerhead, the dwarven bartender, whips an axe across the room and decapitates this guy. And his body falls limp. And Hammerhead just yells out, You know the rules. No fighting blades. And everyone in the bar is like, Oh, yeah. And then that's it. And I thought that was some interesting uh, character development and world building for this character that we had just met who doesn't want anyone uh, assaulting people with blades in his bar. And he will cut off your head to enforce that rule. But as far as the rating goes, I think I'm going to give this movie six swords out of 10 i really appreciate their ambition what they did with it i like that it's focused on characters i think merrick is a very strong lead for a movie like this an independent fantasy film i think she's gonna be a really strong lead hopefully throughout the series um it drags a little bit it doesn't follow i i the fact that it doesn't follow some standard movie tropes i'm totally fine with But the ones it rejects are kind of like the structural ones that help the audience follow along with the plot. And some of that was missing. But honestly, I I have to give them a lot of credit for doing a lot with a little. So, yeah, six swords. I really enjoyed it. I had a good time watching with you guys. And I'm really looking forward to seeing more maybe sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: But now that we've got that out of the way, why don't we head to the bounty board? You awaken on the cold stone, your head throbbing, your back in pain, having a hard time remembering how you got here. You sit up and notice nothing but darkness all around you, except for a... Small shaft of light beaming in through a hole above your head. You realize that you're in an ogre's ice chest, having tried to invade his cave and steal his treasure. Darn, don't you hate it when this happens? As you look down where the beam of light is directed, though, you notice scratchings in the ground that say bounties? All right, guys, this week we want to tell you about a podcast that's not swords and satire. ...that we think you should check out and give a listen to. And the name of that podcast is The Plague... ...on Spotify and Apple Podcasts... ...by L.M. Bogad, our good friend.
1: (laughs) Professional clown and professor.
0: And professional professor. (laughs) But yeah, Dr. Bogad has a really great podcast... ...where he has an expert on to talk about... ...something that's plaguing our modern society in this time of a pandemic. And they really get into each topic and he has some really interesting guests on that are incredibly insightful. They have a lot to say about uh, whatever the topic they're talking about is.
1: And they're from a variety of fields, uh, scientific fields and performing arts. And they bring their individual expertise to each topic. And Dr. Bogat shares some of each of their work in the episode that we listened to. He shared some of the music of the person he was interviewing and that, that was fun.
0: Yeah. It adds a lot of personality to the show and lets you kind of get to know his guest in a more intimate way. And then the people that he talks to are really interesting and just fascinating people. And they talk about a lot of things that really matter right now that, Might be easy to lose track of while people are focused on one plague that we're facing when there's actually quite a few that we still need to deal with. So once again, this show is called The Plague. Look for The Plague Doctor on the cover and you'll know you've got the right one.
1: Yeah, it's great. Check it out.
0: Are you guys ready to rewrite some history?
1: Oh, you know it. Always.
0: Welcome to Rewriting History, the part of the show where we discuss ideas for a sequel, a reboot, a spin-off, or a crossover for Mythica, A Quest for Heroes. So guys, because this movie was funded on Kickstarter, I have a little bit of a different idea for us this week. I think we should talk about the Kickstarter backer exclusive features for another version of this movie that is the more complete version of it, since some of the board games that I've backed on Kickstarter have what are considered exclusive content that really is necessary to have a complete experience for the game. So I thought we might want to try to do a version of this movie where only the backers get the finished product. Nice. Because obviously that's a great idea that everyone's going to love.
1: So we're not really changing much about the movie itself. We're just adding to it in that case. Yeah,
0: just like fleshing out the plot, giving you like exclusive characters that the other people don't actually get to interact with. Maybe like some uh, plot points that are missed throughout the movie that we can kind of add in.
1: I like this. I think there's a lot we can fill in the blanks here. I think one of the first things that we can highlight as one of the things that backers get to learn about is the MacGuffin.
0: Oh, good call.
1: The magical artifact that the Necromancer tried to steal from the White Robes Club. What was their... What was the... um...
0: The Priests of Elisette.
1: Yes, the Priests of Elisette. They were safeguarding a sacred artifact that had magical powers and we never got to learn what that did because we weren't backers. But the backers learned that it had healing powers, uh but if a necromancer got their hands on it, they could use it as a way to suck do use the dark suck on large groups of people, not one person at a time. Ooh,
0: I like it. Really raising the stakes for that statue that has very little screen time or cohesive plot development in the film we got.
1: So this is why all of the priests and priestesses are willing to sacrifice their lives to keep this artifact out of the Necromancer's hands. A critical piece of information that the backers got to learn about.
0: Very good. I like it.
1: So that's, that's what I think they got to know. What about you
0: guys? Um, I'd like to add another character. Uh, uh, what would be in a board game a playable character that the backers get to meet and interact with and see doing things. And I think Jack and I both agreed that what this party really needed was a full-on ranger. We've got a fighter. We've got a rogue wizard or maybe sorcerer and cleric, but don't have a ranger. Uh, Deegan and... Thane have a little bit of tracking skill, but we need somebody who's an expert tracker to help them find the orcs, find the ogre, and identify their, like, natural environment and the area around them, provide a little artillery support.
2: Yeah, and every time the character is on screen, if you didn't get it through the Kickstarter, it's a blacked-out silhouette in their static playing over the sound. Perfect. So You know, you get a little flavor of what you could have, but instead you're punished for not
0: getting it. That's right. Very important. You don't deserve it. (laughs) What other exclusive backer content should we have for our cut of the movie? (laughs) Dagon gets additional arrows
2: for every milestone reached and every milestone reached you save the party a little bit more by giving him the ammo all right
0: Stretch saving the adventures stretch goal arrows i love it
1: yeah and then we they we also get some critical backstory between merrick and uh sorbo's characters where you get to see her meeting him when she's uh you know a tween maybe and him like refusing to teach her, and then her showing a little bit of aptitude. Maybe she shows some prestidigitation or something. She cleans his robes a little bit because he's always dropping food on his robes. You know, a, a wizard just focused on his book learning, <laughs> not paying attention to what happens to his robes. Okay,
0: so, okay. He's like,
1: oh, okay, maybe I can teach you. So
0: it's- this is like a backer exclusive, like mission zero or quest zero. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gives him a bath. <laughs> I think that that would significantly change the rating of this movie. <laughs> Alright, any any other exclusive content for backers only?
1: Yeah, I think we get to... The backers also got some information about who the neck the head villain necromancer is working for.
0: Yeah, I was going to say maybe the backers get an ending. Yeah. <laughs> which is something that this movie kind of lacked.
1: Yeah, they get to see... Him maybe speaking telepathically or through some magical orb with his uh, superior. Maybe he's a mercenary himself. And um, so he's reporting in and then the shadowy figure gives him, tells him to keep going after the adventurers and, Tells him to follow the priestesses and follow where they're taking the magical artifact and to take it back.
0: So. Oh, nice! Yeah, a little setup. Yeah, it's like it's a quest at the end, like a a final quest for this first part, but that kind of leads into the next leg of the journey.
1: And that creates some suspense for the audience, uh, because we know something that the heroes don't know, and so then it will kind of entice you to want to watch the next movie.
0: Very cool.
2: I like it. Yes. I'm just saying, if I donate $50,000, I want a short film where I get to see a romantic plot between orcs and see orc courting in their society. If you tell me orcs aren't capable of true love,
0: I don't know what I'll do. Okay, a little backer-created content. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Flesh out the world, you know? Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. If there's
2: one thing that people making a world love, it's it's telling you things that, you know, your viewers might never get to find out.
1: So maybe that's why they were taking slaves. We find out that they are trying to court a future wife and you have to present her with a slave. And the one that she likes the most, she'll go with that that fighter.
2: Oh, look at you. You're blushing. You're all green in the cheeks.
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, on that note... (laughs) Well, I think that about does it for rewriting history on that note. Why don't we move into the side quest? Welcome to the side quest where we suggest another piece of fantasy media to check out after you watch Mythica. So, here's one I wanted to suggest that I really hope we haven't suggested already, but if we have, it's still a good suggestion today. So, another thing that I actually kickstarted, which is the board game called Folklore colon, The Affliction. This is like a dark, rpg inspired by eastern european lore and mythology where you play as a band of heroes and you travel around a world map and you can get into like fights on the world map called skirmishes or you can go on to actual like tiles of where your characters are moving around in a more traditional like uh like, zoomed-in mode where you're fighting, like, groups of monsters and stuff.
1: Yeah, where you have combat uh, with miniatures.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of cool stuff you can do. There's, like, events that you have on the road. You can go to towns and locations. There's, like, add-ons where you can add, like, world events and rumors and stuff that you can go into town and collect, and it sends you to go on different journeys.
1: Yeah, side quests.
0: Yeah, side quests almost. One one could call a quest on the side, <laughs> um, and the characters are really cool and interesting. Like one of the playable characters is a butcher. Another one is just called the Avenging Madman, and he fights with a meat hook.
1: I'm playing the woodsman in that game right now.
0: Yeah, that's a cool one. Kind of a rangery type of character. Yeah,
1: rangery animal companion, that kind of thing.
0: There's a scientist and a telepath. Lots of cool and interesting. Uh, character classes that go beyond the usual uh, D&D archetypes, at least in some way. Yeah. Um, You can advance your character as you go with experience that's called lore. You can get a bunch of items and powers. It's It's a really fun game, and we're playing through it right now and having a really fun time with it. So we think you should check it out. Folklore, the Affliction. Well, that just about does it for us this week. We hope that you had a good time tuning in and journeying along with us on this fun little quest. If you had a good time and you want to help us out, you could jump on over to Apple Podcast and give us that sweet, sweet five-star rating and maybe write a review to help people find us.
1: If you want to connect with us more directly, you can send us an email uh, to swordsandsatire at gmail.com or hit us up on social media.
0: And we'll even read your letter on the air and answer whatever questions you have. And you know what? The best thing you can really do, uh, if if you want to help with besides giving us a review, is tell your friends. And then you can share the joy of talking about and thinking about fantasy movies with your whole community. It'll be great.
1: And if you have some extra gold coins laying around, you can throw them our way by signing up for uh, as a patron to us on Patreon.
0: <laughs> that would be epic. Yeah. But until next time, hail, hail Chrome and the gold he brings.